Welcome to the Dayspring Audio Library, the teaching ministry of Pastor Daniel Rehoff. Thanks for joining us. We hope this message will have a powerful impact on your life. So sit back and enjoy today's time in the Word. being Father's Day, and we're going to spend a few minutes talking about dads. Um, you know, we, I, guess, I guess the thing about dads is we all have them, <laughs> right? You, you may not know who your dad is, you may not like your dad, uh, may not love your dad, but you have a dad somewhere, and um, I guess it's kind of one of those things. I have a dad. Uh, my dad's passed away. I, I, I loved my dad. I honored my dad. I respected my dad. I, I'll be honest, I don't really know if I liked my dad. Uh, just because of things that he did and what I was exposed to growing up with his alcoholism, but I still respected him as, as my father, and, and he's still my dad. So uh, I, I guess one thing my dad taught me is uh, not what kind of dad not to be. <laughs> and I just remember as a child thinking, I will not be like him. Whatever he's doing, I will do something different than what he's doing, because uh, although a nice guy, he made a lot of really bad choices. And uh, so there's always something we can gain from our dads, but I tell you, we're living, we're living in a society today that, you know, really for the last few decades, I think the devil, the devil's been working extra hard to, I don't know, minimize uh, the, the role of a father, minimize manhood, uh, demasculating, maybe that's the right word to say, um, to make men ineffective. You know, I remember years ago, the feminist movement was on a rise and to give women, which a lot of things that, you know, we, we'd agree with, you know, equal pay for equal work, uh, give them recognition, you know, and uh, allowing them to vote and so forth and so on. And, and, you know, we're all for that kind of stuff, of course, but all of a sudden there's been a decline in that, even in that, I think just with a lot of the movements and Pride Month and stuff going on, it, it shocks me, church, that um, men are now taking over even women's sports, and the women aren't saying anything. I, to me, that, that boggles my mind. Like, where's the feminist movement now? I mean, when, when you need them the most, where are they? You know, I, I just, I, I guess what else shocks me is this. It shocks me that all the women that are getting their, uh, their sports recognition taken from them, that they all haven't gotten together and sued their high schools or their colleges or their sports associations I just, it blows my mind that they just haven't sued the pants off off those, those sports uh, programs for allowing men to take over their sport. It, like, what, what's going on? What, who's sitting here on the job? It just blows me away. Um, as, as if it's not hard enough for women, now we have men taking over women's spots, and now, now you have the, the whole thing of men don't even have to be men anymore. Men can choose to be women if they want to choose to be women. And, and, and so this whole thing is, is like, you know, going down the drain at once really fast. And who would have ever thought, honestly, 10 or 20 years ago, we'd even have a conversation like this in church. But we're at a stage now, a state, in our, I believe, in our country and in our, in our, in our, in our nation, but even around the world, that the job of the man, that the, the manliness, that the, the focus of what men should be doing is just really a problem. And it's a really big deal. So we're going to take a look at this today. We're going to talk to dads today. Uh, even if you're not a dad, maybe you're just a husband. <laughs> I don't know. But we'll talk to you, to all the men. I think the monitor's a little bit hot up here. If you could turn that down, I'd appreciate that. Um, and so it'll be a talk for all of us today. If you have your Bible, take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. This is in the New Testament. Say, well, 
uh, I'm a woman today, or I'm a female, and, and uh, I'm a girl, or I'm a teenager. This talk isn't for me. I'm not a dad. Well, actually, it is, too, because the Bible says in 2 Timothy 3.16, it says, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is church, what's the next word? It's profitable. So everything we look at in the Bible, whether you feel like it applies for you or not, is profitable. Uh, it's something that we all need. But today, we're going to be in the book of Ephesians. We're actually going to look at a couple passages. But follow with me. Ephesians is all the way over here on the right-hand side, a really small book. Uh, we'll put it up on the screen. You have a verse sheet there in your program. Um, Ephesians chapter 5. Let, 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 me, let, me, let me stop for a second and talk about this real quick because this, this question comes up. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is really good for marital counseling, um, husband and wife looking at how to run your relationship as a married couple. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 is a place we oftentimes go to. But let me, let me just say this. Uh, Ephesians chapter 5 only works if, if both people are Christians and both are equally committed to the biblical idea, okay? So if you're in a marriage relationship and looking for marriage counseling and, and one, let's say the husband or the wife, wants nothing to do with what God says, Ephesians chapter 5 doesn't work. It'd probably even cause more problems because it's, if one person gives lip service to it and doesn't really apply it to life, it's just not meant to work. It's meant for a, a, a Christian couple that wants to follow biblical ideas. Well, pastor, my spouse... My spouse doesn't want to do the biblical ideal. My spouse doesn't want to do that, but I do. Okay, well, here's, here's what you do. You do the right thing, regardless of what your spouse does or doesn't want to do, okay? Always remember that in Scripture. Regardless of the person sitting next to you, if they don't want to do the right thing, that's not an excuse for you to do the wrong thing. You always do the right thing, okay? And you always take that biblical principle. You do the right thing, even if someone doesn't want to. You don't have the right to disobey God just because someone else says that they don't want to obey God, Okay? So you always do the right thing. Um, and, and, and let me say this too. I, I think there's, there's three big, big overlapping principles from men that we'll, we'll really quickly touch on today. A, a friend of mine had talked on this a while back and kind of encouraged me on it. And I wanted to just mention it today. But big picture for men, three things that I think guys, if we'll listen to, I think men, if you'll lean into this a little bit, if, if you'll not think about cutting the grass today or not think about, you know, fixing your car or not think about work tomorrow, but just spend a few minutes thinking about what God has to say about the role of the man. I really think this can help all of us. It, it's helped me studying for this. I, I think it'll be a help for you. So I think the first big picture, uh, the first big thing for guys just to think about is men, our job is to be the provider. Uh, there's nothing wrong with women working. Of course not. Proverbs 31, the virtuous woman, uh, she, had, she was a business owner. She worked. But people ask, you know, well, pastor, you know, who should, who should you know, make the money in the family? Uh, who should take care of all the money? <laughs> Here's my answer. This is really simple. Who's ever best at it? How about that? <laughs> so, you know, I just think it's fine. You know, well, who should balance a checkbook? Who's ever best at it, you know? It'd be kind of like if you asked me, you know, well, who, you know, who should cook dinner? Who's ever best at it? <laughs> it doesn't matter. You know, the Bible doesn't say it's kind of a little bit of a movement, I think, in some churches that, you know, only the women are allowed to cook and the men should stay out of that. Hey, listen, if the guy's a better cook, just go in there and cook. I mean, it's no big deal, right? Uh, I'm not a real good cook. I made breakfast this morning. I'm really good at eggs and bacon and hash browns and toast uh, and coffee, and that's about the extent. I love doing that. That's a lot of fun to me. But I'm just not a cook, you know? Now, my brother-in-law, I have a brother-in-law who, I'll be honest, he, he's like a master chef. He's not, but he could be. 
And if he's ever cooking, he's got one of those, what's that called, a green egg? Like that, yeah. Man alive, that guy, he could, he, that thing just sings when he turns out. I, I don't know how to use it. I don't know what it is. But um, if he ever makes brisket and invites you over, you just drop everything you're doing. And you hop on a plane, you go to his house, and you eat whatever he's cooking. Uh, but that's, there's no problem with that. He cooks because he's just really, really good at it. Now, my sister's not that good at it, so that's why he cooks. <laughs> but whatever skill set you're best at, but the bottom line is this, ultimately, men, men, ultimately, when push comes to shove, when the rubber hits the road, ultimately, it's your job to make sure that things are provided for for you and your family, okay? Just, that's just the, when, it, when it comes right down to it, you just got to make sure that, that it's happening. You got to make sure your family's provided for. Second thing I think big picture that men are, are really responsible for in the Bible is to be protector. I think you're supposed to protect your wife, protect your family. I don't just mean physically. Men, I'll challenge you on this. We won't spend time on this, but men, you need to protect your family mentally, physically, and spiritually. You, your job is to make sure that they're protected. Make sure that emotionally uh, they're being protected. You make sure that your family's okay. You make sure that, that your kids are okay. You make sure your wife is protected. And third thing, real quick, I think, just to kind of look at the big picture, is that men are to be the presider. The Bible says, the Bible says, not me, the Bible says that men are the leader. doesn't mean you're a dictator. doesn't mean you're a tyrant. But men, you ought to be leading your family through love. You are the leader. Okay, the Bible doesn't ask the question, doesn't pose a question. It makes a statement. And you need to be doing it through love. Now, we're going to spend the next few minutes talking about what love looks like, okay? So the, the core of what we're going to talk about today is kind of really defining what love is. But, but men, when you love your wife properly, th there is no problem taking that leadership position, okay? When you love your wife properly, there is, there is no problem with, with your wife respecting you. It, it, it'll fall into place because you're doing your job. The weight of the marriage, the weight of the marriage, the biggest responsibility of a married couple is placed on the man. 95% of my marriage counseling, it's the guy's fault. And all the women in the church said, I thought you were going to say, I told you so. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've been saying this the whole time. <laughs> but men, your job is to lead. I had a guy one time tell me this. I'm not kidding. He, people tell me strange things. Um, church, when we're talking in the lobby, can I just tell you, could you just be authentic with me and be real? Okay, don't, you don't have to speak in King James language to me and, you know, be fake. I, I, I see right through that, all right? But I had a man tell me one time, and it kind of blew me away. I think he was trying to brag to me. I don't know what he was doing. But he said, Pastor, I just want to let you know. I talked to my wife last night. I was doing a marriage counseling, uh, marriage uh, retreat seminar thing. And so I talked to my wife last night. And my wife gave me permission to be the leader of the household. <laughs> All right. <if> you <laughs> your wife gave you permission to lead the household. All right. I didn't know what to say. I just said, well, I think you should come back for the second night of the, of the conference. <laughs> I don't think you got enough out of it. But, but, but men, uh, the way you love and how you love your wife, you love your spouse there, is, 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 is really important that it's done biblically. Okay? And we'll take a look at this. So if you have your Bible, Ephesians chapter 5, let's take a look at some biblical standards for love, biblical standards. I've got five here we're going to look at. Ephesians chapter 5, look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wife. So this is the standard. It's a teaching that says that this is what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be loving your wife. Well, how do I do that? Well, keep looking at the verse. How do I love my wife? Even 
as Christ also loved the church and did what? He gave himself for it. So the first one is to love sacrificially. Men, your love towards your wife is supposed to be sacrificial. Uh, uh, when we're talking about marriage, in the context of marriage, don't, don't ever forget this. Ma marriage, when we talk about marriage, marriage is about the couple. It's about the two of you. You know, uh, the Bible says when you get married, you're one flesh. You're one. It's not two. It's one. Most of my marriage counseling that I do, I do a lot of marriage counseling, is not about marriage problems. It's not marriage problems. It's single problems. You brought your oneness, your singleness into your marriage, but the marriage is not about single. It's about the two being one flesh. And, and so you brought your singleness into the marriage. And it's not about a marriage problem. It's about a single problem that you still have. But, but this is what he's saying. He's saying, he's saying this is the love that Christ had, that, that Christ sacrificed himself for the church. He, he calls the church the bride of Christ. And he was willing literally to spread his arms and die on the cross to give sacrificially. I'm going to put my interests last, not first. I'm going to do that. Romans chapter 5, I'll put this on the screen, says God commends his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet perfect, we didn't have everything figured out, Christ died for us. And he says, listen, you're supposed to love the same way that I love, the church. This is why we do this, because he initiated it. My motive is to always do what is best as a couple. You understand that? Husbands, your motive, your angle, your, your command is to always do what's best for you as a couple, not to do what's best for you as a single person. Why? Because you're married. This is what you are. You're, you're together. Men, I believe that you're wise to ask your wife's opinion. Men, don't just do what you want, do whatever you want. I think you ought to get your wife's input. Ladies, I am trying to set you up today, and I don't know if you're not paying attention or what's not going on, but I'm trying to help. <laughs> don't sit there and throw an elbow. Give the preacher an amen. <laughs> it, when, in your marriage, it's not his and hers. It's ours. It's together, okay? Uh, men, your, your wife sees things that you don't. She has, they're, they're, I believe it, women's intuition. I think it's real, <laughs> I, I, and I think it's wise that we listen to it. I just think it is. I think it's good that we listen to our wives and the input that they have. And the problem comes up is when we say, well, this is what I want. This is what I want to do. No, it's not I. It's us. It's we together, sacrificially. We're together. We're married. We're one. So not only is his love supposed to be sacrificial, take a look at the next one. Uh, the man's love towards his wife is supposed to be spiritual, okay? Love spiritual. Ephesians 5, 26, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of the water by the word. Christ gave with that purpose, that he might sanctify and cleanse the church with his word, okay? With God's word. Look at verse 27, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. So when I love sacrificially and spiritually, my goal is that I lead spiritually, okay? Um, there's nothing weird about that. It's just that, that my goal in my life is that my wife also, also is conformed to the image of Christ. I want to lead, I want to show love to her in a spiritual sense that, 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 that I'm, I'm doing what Christ did. My desire is for her to be as much like Christ as my desire is for me to be like Christ, okay? To do the right things, to lead uh, and to be spiritual. So, Pastor, what does that look like to lead spiritually? Okay. I am going to officially step on all of our toes, including mine. Raise your hand today if you have steel-toed shoes on. 
<laughs> uh, women, you may want to go home and get them for the husband. <laughs> what, what, does it, what does it mean to lead spiritually? I, I, just, I was going to kind of move through this, and I thought, you know what? I need to sit on this for a little bit. Here's what it means to lead spiritually. Husbands, dads, fathers. This means this. It means, it means you lead in going to church on Sunday. That's what it means. It means your wife doesn't have to wake you up to get you out of bed to go to church on Sunday. Because you're the leader. You're leading spiritually. That verse we saw in Ephesians said we're supposed to, to love, love our wife just like Christ loved the church so much that he gave himself for it and that, and that his desire is to purify and cleanse the church so the, the, the church is just, you know, without spot, without wrinkle. His desire is for the church to be spiritual. And that's what the example that he says that we're supposed to do. Guys, listen. If your wife has to throw an elbow to get you out of bed to get you to go to church, there's a problem. You need to be leading spiritually. You need to be the guy that, that gets out and says, well, I'll be in the car, let's go. And we're leaving. <laughs> and I'm leaving in two minutes. I don't know, if you're not in the car, call Uber. I don't know. Well, maybe don't do, <laughs> don't do that. That would probably wouldn't be good. But, but you lead. Take the lead. Be that person. You lead them to church. Uh, we, we've been encouraging you to go to church, all of us, three to thrive. Okay, last time I checked, help me out, is, is Sunday the Lord's Day or is it our day? It's the Lord's Day. Okay, Monday through Saturday is whose day? It's our day, I mean, right? I mean, we get to do what we need to do. But Sunday, one day of the week, is whose day again? Okay, so Hebrews chapter 10 is pretty clear. It says when the doors of the church are open, we need to be there. That, you, I didn't write it. The Bible, it's in the Bible. You need to be part of your church. You need to worship the Lord when the doors of the church are open. That's what Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25 says. You read it. Man, you need to take leadership in that, okay? You need to be there. You need to be leading that. You need to be thinking about that. Um, take lead with your children. You know, help them be ready to go to church. Listen, let me say this, uh, parents with kids. I got kids. <clears throat> you can set, and listen to me really carefully on this because I want you to get it. You can set the wrong priorities for them when they're this big. You know what I'm talking about? And they won't get it because, because at that age, you know, they don't know how to compartmentalize stuff and they're just kind of whatever. So, so you can miss church on Sunday when your kids are this big and they don't get it. They don't, hey, my dad said, my mom said, well, we're just not going to church. Okay. When they get this big, you're going to have to answer for that. Okay? You will. And, <laughs> and, and, and someday your kid's going to say to you, why don't we go to church? They're not going to say it down here because they think it's fun and games. But up here they're going to say, well, Dad, I thought you said church was important, you know, and, and we keep missing church to play sports. You're not going to have to answer that right here. You are going to answer it right here, and you're going to have to say something. And the only answer you can give your kids is this. I'm a hypocrite. That's the only answer you can give them. That, that's it. You, you, if, if you choose something else on Sunday besides, besides worshiping the Lord, you have just made yourself a hypocrite. Church, how many times have I said this? The number one reason that kids stop going to church is because their parents are not the pastor, not the church, there's not enough events, there's not a you. No, no, don't blame it on anybody else. Blame it on yourself. You're the parent, you're in charge of your children. And if, if you put sports in front of Sunday morning, you are going to have to answer to your children. You're not answering to me. I don't take attendance here. I don't know what's going on. But you're going to answer for your kids because you said, that is more important than Jesus Christ. That round leather ball 
is more important than Sunday morning than Jesus. You said it. I didn't say it. You said it. And, 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 and I don't care what the excuse is, you're going to have to answer for it. And then you're gonna, the kids are going to get this big. Here's what's going to happen. I guarantee it. I guarantee it. They whoosh, are going to bolt out that door and they're not coming back. And you're going to come to me because this has happened. Guys, I've been in the ministry 35 years. It's happened once. It's going to happen a million times. Pastor, I don't know why my teenage kid doesn't want to come back to church anymore. <laughs> I'll tell you exactly why. Because when you were there this big, you told them church wasn't important. Whew. But that was. You told them that. And now they get a chance to live it out because they have a license. They can do whatever they want to do with their, their time, right? Well, why don't my kids go to church? I don't know. Because you didn't lead spiritually. How about that one? Right? That's just the way it is. Because you put something else. Or, 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 or part of spiritual leadership. Dads, you make the spiritual choice with your children's education. Okay? You make the spiritual choice. Is education spiritual? Yeah. Is education neutral? No. You have to be the leader in that. You have to do that. Men, you take the leadership and how you raise your children and the discipline of your children. How about this? Men, you, you take the spiritual leadership in, 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 in how you do your finances as a provider. Let, let me say this. Let me just encourage you on something. Um, we don't push it big in our church. We're, we're the opposite of this. We are just, I'm, I'm the worst guy at this. I'm really bad. Um, we don't really talk much about giving. We just don't. It just, we just don't. This book talks an awful lot about giving. I, let me just say this, guys. Guys, you need to take leadership spiritually. Your finances are a spiritual issue. You need to take leadership in that. And, and I'm just going to encourage you, you ought to be a tither, okay? There's no law. We don't have any rules. You will never hear me talk to you about your money. I don't talk to anybody about money. I don't know anything about it. I don't want anything to do with it. All I know is this. I, as a father, I, as a dad, I, as a husband, we couldn't afford to live without tithing. Okay, I'm just, I'm just telling you how it was with our finances. I, I can't afford not to tithe because I know that God makes it up on the back end. God blesses me for being generous to my finances because the Bible says that your heart is attached to your wallet. Okay, and where your wallet goes, that's where your heart is. And God says, you better be careful about that. And, and I just couldn't afford it. But you, you parents, you think about that. Dad, you think about that. You, you plan that. That's a spiritual decision. Next one, number three, love selfishly. Well, what does that mean? Ephesians 5, 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loves his wife loves himself. Verse 29. For no man ever yet hates his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, even as the Lord, the church, just like Christ with the church. So I was just kind of thinking about this, how to explain this. You know, here, there's a difference between men and women, right, when it, comes to, when it comes to evaluating themselves and their bodies, right? Guys in the morning go and you look in the mirror. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter how in shape or out of shape you are, right? You go and you look in the mirror and you're like, there's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> That's what you do. Now, we're not going to talk what women, what, what women do. <laughs> but... Why do you do that? Because, guys, you're okay. You love yourself. You love, you love yourself. You always take care of yourself. You do. This passage says, 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 men, as much as you love yourself is how you love your wife. Okay? You're, not, you're, you know, you're selfish about yourself. You're, you take care of yourself, and, and you make sure that you get the good start. You know, you do everything for yourself. You know, you take care of yourself. But he says, you better make sure that to the same degree that you're loving your wife and that... And that the more I love her, 
the better I love myself. You know, it doesn't mean you're a dictator. It doesn't mean you're out there being a tyrant, calling the shots. It's just that you're working together. But you love her selfishly, just like you love yourself. And guys, listen, if your wife's not fine with something that you're going to do, don't do it. Thank you, ladies. <laughs> um, I don't know. I wouldn't buy a house without my wife looking at it. I'm, I'm making that up. I don't know. I, I just, why? I want her input on it. You know, just, I like it. Well, I want her to like it. And the more I want her to like it, the more I really do love myself. You see how that works? That's loving selfishly. Every successful couple I know figures out an equilibrium, uh, equilibrium that there's, there's no tension there. there, there it's, 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 I'm doing this because I love her, and the more I love her, the more I love myself. Okay? It's not me versus her. It's us together. We're one. So I love selfishly. Take a look at Colossians chapter 3. We're going to go to a different passage. This is kind of a mirror passage. Uh, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians chapter 3. Look at verse 19. Husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them. So what's the next one, number four? Is we ought to be loving sincerely. Loving sincerely. So when it says don't be bitter, look at that verse. Husbands, love your wives. Be not bitter against them. To be bitter, don't be bitter, means to not have resentment towards her. So out of a sincere heart that's willing to deal uh, with issues. Men, our job is, is, when we look at this passage, to not have re any resentment. You deal with small issues before they come big. You, I don't know if the guys get that or not. Maybe, maybe we don't. Um, the problem with us men, we don't like to communicate and, and until things are big. Uh, we we kind of like, well, I'm just not going to deal with it. I'll wait. And we wait until things get big. And then when it's big, then it's a problem, and it, it's just harder. Guys, we have a tendency to just pretend that things are just okay. It really is better to deal with things when they're small. It's just better to just, to, you know, as Barney Fife used to say, just nip it in the bud, just to deal with it, just deal with it. And if there's something in your marriage, there's a communication issue, there's something you're not communicating, don't wait until it's this big, huge, ginormous, hairy thing that you've got to go to, you know, professional counseling. Deal with it when it's this big, and just keep dealing with these small things, and it won't become a big thing. You know, our, our mode is just to kind of kind of pack it in and just, well, just, and then what happens? We pack it in, we pack it in, we don't talk about it, we pack it in. What happens? Then you blow up, you act out your addiction, you, you do whatever, and then there's resentment, then there's anger, and then there's marriage counseling, and it's just harder and it's a bigger mess. Don't just keep stuffing it in and packing it, and then someday there's a blow up. Just don't do that. Deal with it when it's small, there's no need to, no need to have a blow up. Um, it, it's just, it's destructive to a relationship. It's, it's fundamentally destructive to the marriage to not deal with things when they're small. Because why? Because according to that Bible passage we looked at, emotionally, I am connected to her. Okay, it's not just physically we're one, but emotionally we're one. So, so if I've got something that just needs to be dealt with, I just want to deal with it. Why? Because emotionally we ought to be, we ought to be connected. We ought to be attached on that. You know, sometimes we have this idea that Marriage is like an endurance test or some marathon race. Well, I'll just hang on as long as possible. Don't do that. It's not a, it's not a marathon you're just trying to make it to the... No. You're, you're, you're going and you're just dealing with things as they come up and, you're, and you're, you're aware of it. And if you don't talk things out, you will destroy your marriage. Learn to communicate. Learn to talk. Well, I just can't talk to him. Don't tell me. You married him. Right. There was a time you could talk to him. You, you could talk enough to say, I do, right? I mean, you obviously, you, you got in front of people before God needs witnesses. You could talk in front of the whole, whole church. You could say it then. 
Well, don't let it get to a point where I just can't, you know, what I mean. Just, no. Listen, church, we got to be challenged to grow and change. Those of you that have been married for a while, you got to be challenged to grow and change. I, I have no desire to stay a little baby. Does anyone here want to be a baby? You know, I don't want to grow up, I want to be a baby. No, we all want to grow. We go into the nursery over there, and you see a little baby, and you expect little babies to act like little babies. It'd be really strange if a person this big was acting like a baby. It's called growing up. That's what we do. Men, it's good to be challenged. It's good to have your toes stepped on. It's good to, it's good to be challenged not to be childish, but to be challenged to grow up. Listen, we were, I was talking about a few minutes ago. We, we have this emphasis. We're starting three to thrive. I'm encouraging you to be here when the doors are open. Yes, I'm encouraging you. Sunday morning at 10, Sunday at 11, Sunday at 6. Look, let me just explain this. I want you to understand why this is a concern to me. Here's why. Here at Dayspring, we, we feed God's Word. We have supper time. We have God's Word, okay? We have three feedings on Sunday. We have a 10 o'clock, an 11 o'clock, and a 6 o'clock. They're all different feedings, but they're feedings. We also have a Wednesday night, uh, and then besides Christian school, of course, uh, and then we have a Friday night, all right? The point is this. On Sunday, which is the Lord's Day, we have three feedings. Here's the problem. I think a lot of times, dads, I'm taking the leadership on this, and you're missing some of the feedings. Here's the result of that. Those of you with little kids, you know. Little kids fussy. Time to eat. I don't want to eat. Okay, don't eat. Time goes on. Well, I'm really fussy, and I'm cranky, and I'm crabby, and I'm not consolable, and I can't sleep, and I complain, and life is miserable. Yeah, because we were feeding you and you didn't eat. Every parent in the room knows what I just said is exactly true. Why are you so miserable and so complaining and so impossible to console? Why is life so miserable? Because you're not eating when I'm feeding you, right? We have three feedings here at Dayspring. It's a silly way to say it. We have a 10 o'clock feeding, 11 o'clock feeding, and a 6 o'clock feeding. Don't come to this church and say, well, gee, I wish we had another feeding at Tuesday at 5. Don't say that until you've been to all the feedings on Sunday, okay? Well, what we need is we just need a mentorship program on Tuesdays at 4 o'clock. You can say that after you come to the feeding at 10, the feeding at 11, and the feeding at 6. If you're still hungry, great. How about you come to the Wednesday feeding and then the Friday feeding, all right? And then if you're still, still hungry, then we'll talk about doing some other kind of a feeding. But if you're not here for the feedings when we're feeding, don't say, well, I'd really like one at Monday at 10 o'clock. No, it's not happening. <laughs> you don't pick the times that you want to get fed. It doesn't happen. Church, what is, what is, what is Jesus' example of us? We're sheep, right? Sheep in the field. The sheep, you know, don't get to decide, well, I'm going to make a decision what time I want to get fed. No, you're a fussy, colicky, complaining little baby. Stop it. We're feeding now, and this is the time to be fed. Sunday's the Lord's day. It's the day to get fed according to this book. Amen, church? Okay. Dads, you need to take the leadership and you need to be here and make sure your family is fed when we're feeding. Otherwise, you're colicky, complainy, irritable, and no fun to be around. <laughs> Why? Because you're missing the feeding. Well, I just love to read the Bible. All right, be here when the feeding time is, all right? <laughs> well, you know, sometimes, you know, I just, whatever. Listen. Church, a lot of times when I read my Bible, it beats me up. It hurts. Good. It should. It ought to. It ought to. Well, I come to church and I get my toes stepped on. Praise the Lord. 
I mean, unless you've got everything figured out in your Christian life, that's what happens sometimes. It's grow. It's part of life. Take a look at 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, you husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel. Well, there's a lot here, but to move quickly for the sake of time, love them sensitively. Sensitively. Love them sensitively. I know things about her. I, know, I need to know things about her. I need to be sensitive to her needs sensitive to, to what her desires are, sensitive to the things that bother her. Men, what's that verse say? You need to get to know your wife. It's a continual learning process. <laughs> 30 years, and I don't think I got a clue what's going on inside of her mind, but I keep trying. <laughs> it's just the way it is. But you got to be sensitive to that. You have to think about what, what does my wife need? What, what, are her, what are her desires? What are the things that she needs? You need to be with her. Let me say this too, men and ladies. We need to work on being with the people that we're physically with in the room, okay? Don't, don't, don't be the kind of person that you're physically with real people and you're spending your time on your phone with people that aren't really there, okay? Like social media, all right? Don't bring your phone to bed. Try it again. Don't bring your phone to bed don't. You have a real person right next to you. Don't do that one, okay? All right? Here's uh, my son. Bryce is right here. Bryce taught me something. I thought it was really wonderful. My son's in Bible college, and, and he taught me something. I thought it was great. He taught me this, that on your phone, I didn't know this, on your iPhone, you can set a time limit. Do you guys know that? It's wonderful. So your pastor, because he really wants it to be zero, but I set a time limit on my phone for five minutes. That's all I can do on my phone, five minutes a day like for social media, and whenever I do social media, it's pretty much 99% of the time just for the church. I really have no interest in it, but, but five minutes, and then it turns off, and there's nothing, and the only way I can get back on it is if someone, my wife gives me the password, and she types it in and lets me back on it. That is the best thing in the whole world. Bryce, you taught me that, right? I think it's a great thing. Ladies, men, put a five-minute time limit on your phone, there are real people in this room and in your bedroom and in your bed and at your kitchen table that you need to talk to and look at and be with. Turn off the phone. Okay? Thank you. One person likes that. Just do that. Put a timer on it. You cannot be sensitive to your wife or your husband's needs when you're doing this. Who cares about all these people? It just doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like, be real with the real people. You want your wife to be the, you want to be the king of your castle? Make the wife the queen of your castle, right? Learn about her. Dwell with her so you can live in harmony. Understand what annoys her. Men, do you know there's things you do that annoy your wife? Oh, yeah. <laughs> Who said it? Yeah. <laughs> do you want to tell us what they are? No. <laughs> Confession's good for the soul. Um, Pick up your shorts off the bathroom floor. Yeah, okay, right. Clean the whiskers out of the sink. Okay, <laughs> there's a lot of things you could do. Uh, yeah, you know, put the stuff back in the refrigerator. Do the dishes. Do some laundry. I don't know. There's things that annoy your wife. You need to love your wife and be sensitive to what her needs are and understand my wife hates this. It annoys her. Don't belch at the kitchen table, right? It annoys her. Well, she used to laugh. Yeah. She used to laugh, and then she got the ring on the finger, and it wasn't funny anymore. <laughs> Guys, you've got to learn to listen and have your mind sensitive to it. You know, just, just you know, guy, this is the guy. You know, the wife tells the guy, you know, honey, 
go to the store, now listen, everybody listen, go to the store and pick up a dozen eggs and a gallon of milk. All right, everybody help me out. What did the wife just tell the husband to do? To pick up what? Right, very good. Yep, you got this. <laughs> yeah. The husband says, okay, yeah, I'll go to Menards. They got a refrigerator section. <laughs> and you go to Menards, and this is a guy's mind, okay? You're walking to Menards, it's like, and your brain is like overloaded. It's like, oh, I got all this stuff here, you know. And it's like, wow. And you come back, and the back of your pickup truck is full. And it's like, what did you buy? And you're like, well, I was going to start that deck project. What, you bought two two-by-fours. Well, I didn't have enough money, but two, it's a start. A $20,000 deck, and you started with two two-by-fours. You know, and you got new tools, and you got screwdrivers, and you got nails, and, and you got all that junk that they say is free, and you take all that junk, and you bring it home like that. And then she's like, did you get what I told you to get? Milk? Milk and milk. Milk and... And you can't do it, can you? You can't remember what the other one was. Who remembers what the other one was? Eggs, Eggs right? <laughs> yeah. And you're like, why did I... And you don't come home with a shopping list because that's guys. That's what we do. But you're not sensitive. Your wife says you don't listen. You're right. You probably don't listen. We need to learn that. We're going to give honor to the wife. We need to respect her. We need to learn that. We're going to listen. Church, listen, men. If you're disrespectful to your wife, okay, you're not being spiritual. Don't tell me you're a gentleman if you're disrespectful. Okay? You're just not. You need to, to show that honor to her as a weaker vessel to accept her, to, to show love to her. And, and look what the rest of that verse says, verse 7, is being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers be not hindered. She's my partner in faith and in home and in life. We're heirs together. It's not about me versus her. It's us. I don't want my prayers hindered. If it's not right with her, then it's not right. I can't claim any level of spirituality. Men, if you're bickering with your wife, you are not right with God. Do not tell me you're spiritual if you bicker with your wife. It's not happening. You, you, no, no. If you're bickering, it's just not happening. You can make all the exclusive excuses in the world and complain about it, but the bottom line is you're not following God's commandment that, hey, you know what? You are heirs together. You are together. You're one. So being in a state of arguing is not being in a state of spiritual, okay? It's a tall order. Five things. You got five things there, okay? There's five things. Now, let's be done. But let me ask you something. I gave you five things. Did you write them down? I hope you did. Five things. How about this? How about if you just worked on one of those things this week? Could you do that? Could everyone do one? You don't have to do all five. Can you do one? Okay. Let me see you raise a hand. Help me out on this. Men. This is for the men. Men only. Men only. Men. Raise your hand if you think you are a brave person. Are you a brave person? Put your hands up. <laughs> this section's sad. Thank you, Sam, for putting your hand up. Are you brave? Mike Dean, put your hand up. Are you brave? You're a brave guy, sure. Okay, the rest of you? <laughs> I don't know what to say. <laughs> Cupcakes and snowflakes are served outside afterwards. <laughs> for those of you that are brave, for those of you that are brave, go home and ask your wife, listen, which one of the five you should work on? If you're brave, Honey, we talked about five things today. Pastor said we don't have to work on five. We just work on one. Which one should I work on? Let her answer and shut your mouth. Don't respond. Just say, yes, I will. Let her pick one of the five. Well, you need to, number two, number three, and four. Well, which one? And let her pick one. And just for one week, for one week, you work on it. The rest of you men, I don't know, go home and I don't know, do whatever you're going to do. I don't know. But the rest of us that raised our hand, do something. 
Be a brave man, pick one of those things, and just work on it for one week and see if something doesn't change, all right? The most important thing that I could share with you, and uh, we have some laughs because we like to laugh, but the most important thing I talk about today, though, is about your eternity, okay? Now listen, I, I'm going to spend literally just three or four minutes because this is such a big deal. If I were to ask you this question, where are you going when you die? I didn't ask you if you go to church. I didn't ask you what church you attended. The question I ask you is, where are you going when you die? And if you sit there and you say, I don't know, I think, I should, or maybe, those are the wrong answers. I'm just telling you flat out, those are the wrong answers. The Bible says this. The Bible says there is a God in heaven. He loves you. And there is a hell. And hell, according to the Bible, is eternal fire. It's, a, it's eternal. It's real. Interesting. Interesting. This is amazing. The Bible talks more about hell than it does about heaven. Did you know that? Why? Because I think God is really serious. I want you to hear me. I'm talking about hell more than about heaven. So, so here's the thing. Sometimes people say, well, I hope I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm being a good enough person. Here's what the interesting. The Bible says that you can know. The book of John says the reason these things are here is so that you can know, know you have eternal life. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt if I were to die today, I'm going to heaven not because I'm good, not because I'm the pastor of the church, not because I've given money to the church, not because I joined a church. I'm going to heaven when I die because of why? Because of God's grace and the fact that I've accepted it as the payment for my sins. Now, let me show you an illustration and let's be done. Pretend, just pretend this hands me and you. Pretend that my glasses are all the bad things we've done. Here we are, we've all done bad things. Pretend my right hand's God, God's in heaven. There's no sin in heaven, right? Sin can't be in heaven. But God says, I love you, but I hate the sin. The sin's what's keeping you from heaven. Well, I'm going to go to church. That's nice. I still get rid of the sin. I'm going to get baptized. That's great. I still get rid of the sin. I'm going to turn over a new leaf. Okay, now you have upside down sin. It doesn't matter. It's still there. God said this. The cost, the wages, the payment for sin in the book of Romans, the wages or the expense, the mortgage for those bad things you've done is separation from God forever in hell. Forever in hell. That's what the Bible says. Someone has to die to pay that mortgage. If you die and that mortgage isn't paid, you will spend an eternity in hell forever separated from God with no hope. That's what the Bible says. Someone's got to pay that mortgage. So either you're going to pay it, or the better solution is what Jesus did. God said, I love you so much. So I love you. I'll pay that mortgage for you. Look at, just look at this verse. It's in the Bible. John chapter 3, verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. This was Jesus, right? That whosoever, it doesn't say goes to church. It doesn't say takes communion. It doesn't say is good. It says what? That whosoever what church? Whosoever believes should not perish, but has everlasting life. Whosoever believes what? That Jesus Christ, watch this, when Jesus died on the cross... He paid the mortgage. He was buried. Three days later, he rose again from the grave, proving, proving he had paid the mortgage because he came back to life. He proved, I paid it, and I'm going to prove that I paid it. Right? It didn't, it didn't kill me forever. I paid it. And God said, whosoever believes that has everlasting life. I know beyond the shadow of a doubt I'm going to heaven when I die, not because I'm good, but because when I was in second grade, the first time I understood it, when I was in second grade, I understood I'm a sinner. I can't pay this. But God, I believe that Jesus paid it for me. I, I don't know anything else about the Bible. I don't even know if I ever want to go to church again in my life. I don't care about these things. All I know is that I'm a sinner and I can't pay it. And you paid it. 
Jesus died on the cross. He paid my sin debt, praise the Lord, rose again, proved it was paid. And God said, Dan, you are forever part of my family. Never to be lost, never to be forsaken, never to be forgotten about. You will spend an eternity in heaven because your mortgage was paid. So the answer is not, I think I'm going to heaven. I hope I'm going to heaven. I might go to heaven. For Dan Rehoff, it's, I know I'm going to heaven because I didn't do the work. He did it for me. That is the best news I could share with you on Father's Day. I know some people in here I don't know. I want to make sure you understand that. Ephesians 2, 8, 9, for by grace are you saved through faith. It is not of yourselves. It's a gift of God. Look at this next one. Next verse. Not of works. Nothing you can do to pay it. God, I'm a sinner. I can't pay it. But I believe Jesus paid my sin. That's the best news. Let's close with a word of prayer. We're out of time. Let's be done. Father, it's good to be here today. Lord, I pray maybe there's some people here. I don't know everyone here. So that concerns me. But I, don't, I just don't know everyone here. Is there someone here that doesn't know for certain about their eternity? Lord, today in the quietness of their mind, praying to you, to the living God, so they're not making a mistake. But Lord, they could say in their, their own mind, they could pray a prayer like this, God, I realize I sin. God, I realize that I can't work to pay that. But God, I realize that Jesus Christ paid my sin debt. I accept that. He rose again from the dead. I don't understand all that, but I believe it. I accept it. I don't understand anything else about the Bible, but I believe that Jesus died on the cross. He paid my debt so I don't have to. I accept that. And Father, according to your word, that person is forever part of your family, never to be lost or be forsaken or forgotten about. Lord, if maybe someone's prayed that prayer right now, that prayer doesn't save us, but Lord, they, they understand it. They get it. Lord, maybe would you just give a special blessing in their life that they would remember that Father's Day, 2023, they accepted Jesus Christ as their Savior. What a great thing to do. And tonight they go home and they go to bed and they know, they know, they know they have eternal life. The opposite of that scares me to death to think I may spend an eternity in hell, forever separated from God. That's, that scared me to death. Lord, I pray that uh, our message today is a challenge to all of us, all of us, myself included, that are dads and fathers and husbands. Lord, if there's some of these areas that, that, that stepped on our toes, we've got some work to do. We're just going to do it, and we're going we're gonna to change, and we're going to do it, and we're going to do what's right. Help us to work on these things this week, and we pray. Amen. very interested in you and your spiritual growth. If you want to contact Dayspring for prayer or more information, you can reach us at 262-404-5092 or on the web at dayspringbaptist.com. Thanks for listening.